Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. This is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. Every episode, I thank you for listening, and I want you to know I mean it. I'm sincerely grateful for the time and attention you give to the content that I'm creating for you. You inspire me to continue to do my best to ask better questions, to listen more openly, and to highlight the people who are doing the difficult but beautiful work of building a more ecological, equitable, regenerative, and exciting world with wine. The work of creating these podcast episodes brings a lot of joy and meaning to my life. And in many ways, I feel like it uses the whole package of my skills and life experiences. Any work that does that is rare and special, and I hope every one of you has a chance to find that for yourself. So I want to celebrate today the first ever donor to the Organic Wine Podcast, Michelle DeWeingart. And I'm sure I just mispronounced your name, but thank you so much, Michelle. A lot of time goes into each episode from researching to interviewing to writing to editing and producing and publicizing. Each episode that you listen to represents many hours of work and real expenses. Donations like Michelle's are not only incredibly encouraging, but they also make it possible for me to be able to continue to prioritize the time to create this content for you. If you'd like to donate, you can Venmo at Centralis. That's at C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S. And it will be associated with my name, Adam Huss. And you can let me know if you'd like me to thank you on a future podcast. Or maybe you'd like to donate in honor or in memory of someone else. Thank you so much for your support. Another special announcement. Have you heard of Vidinord? I found out about Vidinord through my interview with Tom Plocker. If you haven't listened to that episode about breeding new grapevines, I highly recommend it. Vidinord is the world's only international cold climate grape and wine conference, and it will be hosted in Burlington, Vermont from December 4th through the 7th this year. This conference takes place only every three years, and it alternates between Europe and North America. So if you miss this one, it will be a while before you can attend another one in the U.S. Keynote speakers this year will include Greg Jones, Elaine Chuck and Brown, and Jay Stephen Castles, all of whom I hope will be future guests on this podcast because they're incredible. There will be viticulture and winemaking parallel sessions, the opportunity to meet and mingle with some of the brightest minds helping to advance the ecological adaptation of wine, and of course, wine tasting. If you've been listening to the Organic Wine Podcast, you might have noticed that we've been to Vermont a couple times recently, including this episode you're about to find out. And that's no coincidence. Vermont seems to be an epicenter for some of the seismic shifts that are happening in the wine world right now. Yes, that's an earthquake metaphor. What can I say? I live in Los Angeles. So I have this feeling that Vidinord 2022 is going to be a very special event, a nexus for cutting-edge thought that will shape the future of wine. One of those things that you'll wish you were there later if you didn't go. So pack your parka and your snow boots and let's go. Registration and info is at vidinord.org. That's V-I-T-I-N-O-R-D.org. My guest for this episode is Justine Bell Lambright of Calche Wine. Together with Kathleen Cherry and Grace Meyer, Justine has founded Calche as a worker cooperative. If you're wondering what it would mean for a winery to be built as a worker-owned business, that's exactly what we talk about in this episode. Justine goes into detail about what is involved in setting up and running a winery as a worker cooperative. Because of the hard work they have already put in with their co-workers, Justine is able to give us almost a step-by-step how-to that includes many of the strengths and weaknesses, challenges and opportunities, as well as giving some great reasons why you might want to do this as well. If you're sick of big wine, if you envision a more equitable way of running a winery, if you want a business that is run democratically, if you want to think of people as humans rather than as human resources, 
And if you think business should serve human needs rather than the other way around, then this conversation is for you. Justine not only breaks down the details of how we might go about setting up our own worker cooperative, they also offer resources and lifelines to provide practical help and information to anyone actually undertaking this kind of human-centered business building. And we talk about Calche's hybrid space juice and make a strong case for why American hybrid grapes need to be included in the mainstream of the wine current wherever it's coming from. Justine reads a poem, we meditate on death, and consider a cosmic perspective on ourselves, and generally have a really fun, informative conversation. Enjoy. Justine, welcome. Thank you for doing this. It's great to talk to you. Hi, Adam. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I only know what little I've heard from you know people who know you and know Calche and you know the others that you work with um, who have said wonderful things about you and <laughs> what I've been able to find you know online, which isn't a whole lot. So I'm yeah. really excited to to hear about this project that you know is relatively new for you guys and that is seems really exciting and really cool so i don't know where you want to start do you want to start with how this all got going let maybe a little bit about you and and why you're doing what you're doing and yeah and where you're doing it (laughs) totally (laughs) um so my name is justine bell lambright i use they them pronouns um i am originally from massachusetts uh but i you know became a human being in new york city um (laughs) and currently live in vermont uh which is where uh the project that we're talking about is happening um As of like a year and about 10 months ago, I co-founded a worker cooperative winery up here in Vermont uh, with my two business partners, Kathleen Cherry and Grace Meyer. Uh, We all have very different skill sets, but uh, sort of came together clandestinely to form this, yeah, worker cooperative winery. We are centering sustainability, diversity, and, you know, what we've come to know as the decolonization of big wine. Uh, and that's with the capital B, capital W. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I use the, yeah. I've used the term like industrial wine or something like that, but I like big wine. That makes, yeah. Big wine. Sense. It makes them seem a lot more, you know, uh, evil, sinister. <laughs> that's great. great. Yeah. They've got, you know, those like waxed mustaches and monocles, big wine. Right. Right. Top hats. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. Which like wouldn't be far off because, you know, the systems of big wine that were particularly, you know, focused on smoothing out are the the power and wealth hoarding, you know, the white supremacy, the chauvinism. And so, yeah, those are all things that I think of when I think of, you know, like the Monopoly man. I don't. <laughs> exactly. Right. So. <laughs> Well, keep going. I feel like I interrupted you. You were going to make Oh, no. Yeah, so so I got into wine um, about a decade ago, but I've been working in restaurants uh, since uh, before I was legally allowed to work. My uncle had a place uh, on Cape Cod, and I decided when I was about 23 that I didn't want to work a job at a desk. You know, I had gone to college um, and started doing, you know, the regular nine to five thing. 
And I was so miserable. People were boring. You're talking to the same people all the time. There's no flexibility in your schedule. It was just like every day felt the same and I was losing it. So I went back to the Cape um, and decided to get back into restaurants. And then, you know, because of outside pressure to, you know, have a plan and, you know, what are you going to do for your career? And, you know, it's not just a job, it's a career. So I was like, I mean, I guess I'll do wine stuff. (laughs) That sounds cool. Like those people seem really smart. Um, And then like, since, you know, randomly making that decision, I was kind of Robert Frost, like two roads diverged in a yellow wood where either I was going to take a class and focus on wine, or I was going to get my, uh, like 200 hour yoga teacher training. (laughs) Um, and it literally came down to like, well, if I do wine, then I can wake up later. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, and this is kind of the first time that I'm, you know, really putting those pieces together. So we're working through this together, Adam. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I should introduce you to my friend Kiara Shannon, who is the yogi sommelier. And oh, so yeah, she figured out a way to combine both of those. Totally. Um, yeah, I wasn't there yet. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so so that was like, you know, sort of like how I got into wine specifically, um, but like stayed in restaurants and then, you know, for a shorter period of time, like let's say the last five years, there have been so many points in my professional life where I've kind of had to reevaluate who I was looking at as like my mentors or, you know, people that I wanted to model my career off of, you know, because of me too, because of, you know, bosses that I had that weren't necessarily making smart business decisions or thoughtful business decisions or thinking about their employees, you know, people just doing these awful things to innocent people that worked for them and it taking so many ugly forms. And so that was sort of the the impetus for us to come together and uh, form Calche because we were we were all just so fed up and so tired of being disposable. And the name Calche, it's ancient Greek. um, And like the literal translation is like the purple fish or to catch the purple fish. Um, And so Calche was the sea mollusk in antiquity that they would use for purple dye for royalty and aristocracy. Um, But then later after, you know, demand grew so much and there was some overfishing, it came to more signify a deep search in your mind, Um, you know, taking a lot of time on your own without distraction to think. And that's, you know, where we were at the beginning of the pandemic when we came together and started this. So, yeah, that's my that's my spiel. Yeah, that's great. Um, Well, I want to jump right into some of the bigger questions if that's okay I mean, totally get, get into the wine but like i love the these origins in sort of you know workers rights and worker ownership and how how does one build a business with these ideas in mind and and what are those values? i mean can you you know feel free to go into detail about what guided the process but really how do you do that like how does one think about operating as a business and in our, you know, very business oriented culture of, of the United States uh, and, and build a structure 
or build a whatever it is, an entity <laughs> that still retains the humanity of the people that are part of it. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a really fantastic question and one that we are asking ourselves every single day. Um, I uh, really <laughs> envy at the moment, like where, with where I'm at right now in the body that I'm in right now, the mindset that I'm in right now, I really envy people that can overlook humanity because like once you see someone as a person, it's really hard to take advantage of them. If you see them as a body, if you see them as a means to an end and that end is your profit and however you get there, you know, you don't necessarily care as long as the outcome is what you want, then of course, you know, being in a capitalistic system is going to work for you. Um, and so for us, having been those disposable parts that had been, you know, used, abused and thrown away by like many people, we were like, how do how do we put workers first? How do we make it so that, you know, these people who are never going to break a sweat, you know, with us in the winery or in the vineyard or, you know, not come to a single meeting, but like want to tell us what to do, you know, from like from behind a screen. We just like weren't at all interested in that and compromising in that way. We wanted to make sure that like we were all 100% comfortable with any decision that was made for the business. Um, and, you know, as of right now, there's only three of us. Um, we're planning on hiring on a fourth person soon. Um, it hasn't, it has taken a lot. It has taken a lot to do that, but we are learning so much on like how to be better listeners and how to really have a relationship um, with people. And, you know, three is an extremely hard number, but, you know, we're learning. Yeah. Just basically how to interact. You need to know how to interact with people to be able to, to work in a democratic business like this and care about people. So I, we can't vote or make decisions if we're only thinking about ourselves. You know, we really do have to be thinking about the group as a whole and not only that, but like the future of the industry. Mm-hmm. And make sure, you know, that we're setting a good example and the choices that we're making, we are so confident in that if someone else replicated what we're doing tomorrow, we won't regret it two years from now. Um, and I feel we feel like in our industry and in most industries, there's just like this need and this want to be the first one on the next trend. And, you know, the uh you know, everyone wants to be an influencer in these ways, but they're just putting out whatever they can quickly. And so we're taking a more deliberate and slow route. Um, so to, to answer your question, you know, like how we came about and how we put this all together was we got all of our like handbooks and stuff like that from former employers and, you know, we sat down in a room for, you know, a week and we were like, okay, what did you like and what didn't you like about past places that you've worked? Like, what are some grievances that you've had um, that weren't handled properly? What would have made you feel seen or held 
um, if that had been handled properly. And, you know, sort of reverse engineering um, former positions that we had had or former companies that we had worked with. And we, it was like, my business partner, Grace, and I, we had been working for the same people and like things started to get weird and we're sitting across from each other in the office and we're just like, should we be doing this? Like, I feel like if we had all of the information, we could figure this out and do it on our own. But because we were on the management level, ownership had all of, you know, the the secret documents for, you know, the how everything ran on the back end we had to pretty much beg to get any information on like how the business that we were running was actually doing. And so from there, we were like, let's present a way to buy this business from them. You know, let's see if we can put the power into our hands. And we were inspired by um, a business in Burlington who six months prior had done a community um, crowdfunding raise to buy a cooperative building. So three businesses came together and organized this along with a nonprofit organization in town and got, I think, like 50 people in the Burlington area each to put up like $10,000 and were able to buy this building. Um, So we were really inspired by that. They gave us the name of the organization they were working with. And we went to them and asked them to help us put together a business plan to buy the business from, you know, our former bosses and they weren't really interested. But then we were like, well, we have this business plan for a worker cooperative winery. So why don't we just do it? (laughs) (laughs) Like we did all the work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds great. I was, I was going to ask about a business plan. I mean, does it look different than, uh, you know, a business plan and if uh, any other kind of, you know, traditional capitalistic business plan? And if so, how? Um, it's very, very similar. It's almost exactly the same. The only thing that I would say is different is that, um, with our incorporation documents, uh, we needed to have, uh, bylaws. So we needed to file bylaws with the government along with our incorporation documents. So these are things for like, um, how, how someone can buy into the business, how many hours someone has to work before they're eligible for employee ownership. Um, yeah, what, what it costs, the different, um, how like the patronage dividends will be paid out at the end of the year, assuming that there's a profit, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's kind of a lot of pressure to be doing before you even have like a viable concept. You know, I feel like in traditional business, uh, you know, startup situations, you can like incorporate and have that there so that you can, you know, uh, call dibs on a name and be able to like apply for a bank account and, you know, various things. But like we needed to like actually know how our business was going to run in the next like five years. We had to know what our exit plan was. Um, so there was a lot more like intense talk about like, okay, what do we do? What, what do we do and what is going to be important to like literally codify with the government? You know, you have to really get your priorities in order right at the beginning. Um, but yeah, because we were, we were 
morally driven, it was pretty easy for us. And this was, so the structure that you're talking about is a cooperative. Yeah, a worker cooperative. A worker cooperative, which is a legal structure. It is in Vermont. It's not in every state. So there are some entities that we work with, you know, like for grants that we've received and they don't recognize worker cooperative because it we filed that with Vermont specific. So for like the United States, we're considered a C Corp, but in Vermont, we're considered a worker cooperative. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, so the, you know, your your local neighborhood co-op, if you have one of those, would be a similar situation. Is that correct? Or... So, so uh, a retail co-op is similar in the sense that there are you buy in, and in a retail situation, those are the groceries that you get, and then at the end of the year, you get a patronage dividend. Um, you know, and you're also able to. Um, you know, vote on company matters and things like that. But for a worker cooperative, the only people who have a vote are people who work enough hours that year. So, uh, um, so yeah, that wouldn't necessarily be the same on the retail side. And that's another, another reason why, you know, we chose this format because we wanted every worker to have a vote. So if you are a seasonal employee, part-time, full-time, if you have worked enough hours in past years and are approved by the board, you know, you can become an owner as well. And so making sure that every single person whose livelihoods and families, you know, and, you know, communities rely on their paycheck, we make sure that they have a say in what happens to their lives and their livelihood. How do you handle wages in a, in a worker co-op? Yeah, so um, as of right now, we are all paid the same. Um, so all three founders were paid the same. Um, anyone who comes on, uh, we will pay close to what our starting salary was, at least for now. That's what it is in our, um, you know, five-year plan um, that people who are coming on. And I am fine with letting you know that, like, it was $40,000 that we that we started at. So anyone who comes on in the future will be at $40,000 a year, which is not at all what anyone on the founding team deserves. It is not what anyone who like is working full time deserves. People deserve a lot more than that to live and need a lot more than that to live in most areas of the United States. However, you know, for us to turn this into a long term viable business and like be stable enough to eventually retire with dignity, like that's just kind of where we're at right now. Um, But any of those changes, um, so some co-ops have it that like um, salary increases have a maximum capacity to them. So um, like the CEO can't make more than 10 times the lowest paid person. And right. like that's one of those. Or, you know, like people's salaries can't increase more than, you know, X amount um or like individual salaries can't increase more than X amount without the rest of their team also receiving raises. Um, And so those things are not in our bylaws. Those are policies. um, And we're still, we're still working on those. We're still working on them. Yeah. I mean, there's always probably an edge case that makes you, where you could find an exception where you're like, well, but what if this, I'm, I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, 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 and it's like, it's a very fine line with co-ops because it is so ridiculously bureaucratic. You know, you need a vote, you need quorum. It's very much like Robert's rules of order. Um, right. But at the same time, it's so much more human. Like those things are there, um, you know, more as like safety checkpoints to make sure that nobody gets crazy, nobody goes out of line. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like it is a people run business and that is what's most important. So like anything can be changed with a vote, whether it's governance, you know, policy, any of that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's great. And so before somebody achieves the minimum number of hours mm -hmm. to to get ownership, how mm -hmm. are they paid if they're not, you know, part of the team yet, so to speak? Yeah. So um, it would be the same. It would still be their regular salary. Um, where being um, an owner really comes into play is that, you know, you get a vote and a voice at meetings. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. And then assuming that there is profit at the end of the year, that vote uh, will be will like lend voice in where that money goes. So one cool thing about co-ops is that like there are a lot of safeguards for savings. So you have a lot of different categorized accounts within your chart of accounts in, um, you know, your QuickBooks or whatever you use. And so like a certain amount of money just gets squirreled away. You can't look at it. It just goes there. But then at like a, a an annual all member meeting, you take out this nest egg and then you can say, okay, either, and this is just an example, but you can be like, either we all get a $2,000 bonus or we invest in a new canning line and up production 50% next year. And Assuming that that's the case, we would get X amount more in our patronage dividend, like at that point. And so, you know, you get to hear from everyone, like, do we need, do y'all personally need money right now? Like, will that help your life if we get you the money right now? Or can we all wait for a bigger paycheck down the line? But it's not something that is, you know, an edict that is being, you know, brought down from people that don't work there. You get to make the decision on where the money is going. And then you vote on that. And then you vote. Yeah, you vote. So some people might, yeah. So that, 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 I like that. Um, I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess a... Uh, seasonal workers you brought those up so how does that work i mean i'm imagining you're you're buying some grapes you're not farming all your vineyards yourselves and you don't you know so these are people that you you aren't specifically you know, people that are doing the work in the vineyard aren't specifically paid by you or hired by you even so Correct. are you is that is that a goal for the future to be able to control the vineyards as part of the co-op as well so that you you can guarantee that they they you know those people that are doing that work are treated by the same um, you know, under the same business plan, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you bring up a good point. We actually haven't talked about, you know, the folks that work for the vineyards specifically or like the small vineyards that we work with. Um, you know, we haven't necessarily talked about that. It's mostly been people who have who would come in and like liaise directly with us, but I am I am literally writing that down right now and I'm going to bring it up at our next meeting and we'll vote on it because um, I think that you bring up a really good point, um, albeit more paperwork. But <laughs> yes, um, no, I mean, it, it, well, it just seems like, yeah, knowing, 
you know what I know about like that is where the big you know where the big exploitation happens in the wine yes. industry is where like we can do so much good work on you know on the seller side on the business side of the winery but if we're buying grapes and we don't control you know the vineyard management team yeah we have no idea what those wages are i mean you know and it's hard to get information out of the you know out of either the workers or the ownership you know sure. in those organizations that are doing vineyard management and and you know we know that they're not great. We know it's minimum wage, you know, very, <laughs> yeah. uh, minimum wage and like no overtime and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, yeah. you know, like six, yeah. Like, especially during harvest. I mean, and that's, that is the, you know, this, the, there's the uncertainty of being a vineyard worker because you have, you know, like, like if that's, if that is your main gig, you know, you have to figure out what you're going to do when it's not harvest, which is most of the year. And then, you know, you're sort of bouncing around and you never yeah. get that continuity from, you know, that a winery worker would have. So, yeah. 100%. Just... And yeah, you really, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, we're, we're trying to even the playing field, you know, behind, like between the people in the cellar, the people in the vineyard, the people in the office. Um, and the reason why we brought up the seasonal workers, we, this is something that we think that we've created. And if there's anyone listening out there that has heard of other co-ops, um, offering, uh, worker ownership opportunities to seasonal workers, I would love to hear about them and I would love to reach out to them if you have a contact, but, um, our, it came about as, a sort of larger conversation. Um, we like to say that we stand on a lot of soapboxes. Uh, and that's because, you know, worker justice is migrant justice, is racial justice, is climate justice. Um, and so you really can't, you really can't pick apart one uh, without dealing with all of them in some way, shape, or form. And so originally the conversation was, migrant justice. So like, how do we, how do we come up with one solution for the awful treatment of migrant workers in this country? And so the, the grand scheme, the big picture of this was like, well, if we can find a way to make seasonal workers eligible for employee ownership, is there a way that down the road their ownership of a U.S. company can facilitate, fast track, what have you, their citizenship? Is there a way that we can team up with like a J-1 or, you know, some other type of visa program to provide people, you know, kind of like a straight shot to citizenship? Um, and also, you know, guarantee that like they have a say in their wages, that they have a say in like what their schedule is going to look like in, you know, daily break and, uh, you know, even just like a policy where you're allowed to relieve yourself during your shift, you know, like some people aren't even able to go to the bathroom during their shifts. <laughs> um, so yeah, just giving giving people a voice was where we came up with the idea for the seasonal owners, um, seasonal workers having a pathway to ownership. But how that will work out is very much up in the air. But that's kind of part of the fun with where we're at. We just get to say 
Like this will be something that we think will do some good and we'll see if it works. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think about this a lot too. And I mean, I, a lot of these questions I'm asking is just, you know, I'm a, you know, running a winery, but it's, you know, it's basically me and Wendy and we hope to grow at some point. And yeah. at that point, you know, bringing on, you know, building the the team of people who are part of this, I definitely think about that. You know, I definitely think about how to make that, how to correct some of the, like you, like, like you said, reverse engineer the things that you don't like um, from yeah. your past jobs and the way you've been treated and build, you know, something that is the ideal that you would like for, for yourself if you were being hired. Again. Totally. Um, and so it definitely comes from that. And I, 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 I think that is such a great problem to solve of like how to, how to like, I don't, I, I'm, I guess the question I'm thinking about is how to give full-time employment year round to seasonal workers, you know, how to, yeah. how to build that into a business plan so that like, maybe you aren't just growing grapes or fruit, you know, that gets harvested once a year. Maybe there's other agricultural things that you're, you bring into the fold that all contribute to, you know, and this goes back to more, you know, like a polyculture idea anyway, which is probably more ecologically sound than a monoculture anyway. So, you, you know, you're, uh, you're sort of solving a couple of problems at the same time. Anyway, I'm just sort of riffing. No, 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 <laughs> um, no. You know, but it's, you know, I, these are the kind of ideas that like when you ask these questions, you know, is that what you're finding? I guess is my question to you that you, you find like you thought you were just going to start this thing that was going to address these problems. And then as you started asking these really important questions, you found like a rabbit hole of problems that needed solving and which lead to bigger and bigger solutions kind of thing, bigger and bigger problems and bigger and bigger solutions. Yeah. I mean, there's, yes, definitely like so many rabbit holes to fall under. And like, once you feel like you've come up with an okay temporary solution for one thing, another thing pops up and it's kind of just like whack-a-mole. Um, but also there's like systemic things that we are seeing and like finally getting to name that people were either afraid of or just were like too privileged to be able to notice these patterns. But like, I don't think it's a coincidence the fact that like seller hands and vineyard workers are so separated in a lot of large scale vineyards. And a lot of the times they're separated by color. There are lots of black and brown bodies that work agriculturally and the major and they only represent like less than 1% of vineyard management and ownership. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think it's one of these things like, you know, you're saying like, how do we get these seasonal workers to be employed year round? And one of the really great things about worker cooperatives is the encouragement to be cross-trained. Um, yeah. And a, a common misconception is that in a worker cooperative, everyone does everything. Um, that's not true. You know, a worker cooperative, everyone has a say, but it's the same as any other business where your job is your job and, you know, anything outside of that, like there has to be a conversation. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that is the criticism, I mean, a, a criticism I've heard of that idea of cross training, which is, you know, there, there is the idea of specialty and expertise yes. in a field that comes from focus and, you know, you know, dedicated focus to a single thing or to just a narrow focus, a more narrow focus that, yeah. Absolutely. And, and especially if, you know, your forte isn't 
that thing that you're being cross trained into. Maybe your forte is, you know, in the vineyard and you have no interest in the chemistry of the cellar, for example. Totally. Totally. Um, But like that is a really good way for someone to be a full time, you know, like a year round worker. And so, you know, figuring out like, how do we break down the barrier from vineyard to cellar? Yeah. And if anyone has any solutions, I would be so happy to hear it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true, but it's also, it's sort of like, I mean, I, I made that one analogy, the difference between, you know, let's say like all the viticultural practices that you can become expert in Mm -hmm. and then all the, you know, chemical processes or, you know, winemaking processes in the cellar that you can become expert in, they don't necessarily marry. I mean, you certainly, I'm interested in both and I, you know, I think I see the through line between them, but I can envision somebody doing that, but maybe that's not the best analogy. Maybe it's like, marketing versus viticultural practices because you know like somebody that's great at social media doesn't necessarily want to know how to you know prune vines or you know that's just one stupid example but you know what i mean like there's um that kind of specialty is needed and yeah it's almost like maybe we're looking in the wrong direction by asking how to bridge that gap yeah and 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 how do you, yeah I mean I guess that's why I brought up the idea of this like sort of polycultural vineyard totally. farm idea of where you have continual year round agricultural work for those who that's their specialty and that's what their interests and forte is um, yeah absolutely I'm I mean me here sitting in Vermont and you know we're at the beginning of September and it was like 45 degrees this morning I don't necessarily know about how year long polyculture would work um <laughs> <laughs> but you you made me think you know and you know this is something that we haven't necessarily said but like part of the reason why we do think of this like progress and I'm using air quotes from vineyard work to cellar work is the salary difference, right? So like why are we valuing the people who are picking yeah. the grapes and actually giving us this product? Why is that valued less than the people who are turning it into something else? And why right. is it that the people who are then just picking up that bottle that already has a label and a cork with it and handing it to the distributor. Why are those people making their salary plus a commission? And again, the people that were actually out there sweating and bleeding, like why are they the lowest paid folks when they're doing the hardest work? And so it's hard to compare, um, you know, like what work is hard work, you know, everyone's job is hard, But it shouldn't be, uh, you know, there shouldn't be like this massive stratification in pay, you know, because you work outside or because you work inside. Like, that's just silly. And so that's why one of the reasons I love that um, the patronage dividends are based off of hours worked and not someone's title or position or like the fact that they, you know, let us borrow some money that we're going to pay them back for. Um, The money is going to go equally based off of how long you were doing your job that year. And if the person who worked the most hours is the CEO, then yes, the CEO, you know, in theory, we don't have one, but then yes, like they (laughs) get the highest bonus. But if not, 
if all of the vineyard workers, you know, were out there hustling and putting in more time, sorry, like they get the biggest raise and that's just fair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I definitely, the idea of there being a, 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 like a value hierarchy to employment is, is this strange capitalistic thing that doesn't make sense when, when you look at the the interdependence of all of us on each other. Um, it's yeah. Well, so obviously there are tons of questions still to be answered, but have you guys, you know, stumbled on any really good solutions that have been working for you that you can share things that you, you would recommend that you would want to do more of, or, you know, anything in that, I, you know, realm of, this is, this actually turned out to be a good idea and it seems like it's doing okay so far. I think for us there, well, no, there really was no other way for us to be able to form a business. So I would say that, you know, for anyone who, who doesn't have, you know, like a pile of money that they're sitting on, or, you know, if your credit's not that great or, um, you know, if you have a community of people around you that have a good idea, there are there are organizations that can be there to lift you up. Um, I I have a lot of student loan debt. I had some healthcare debt. I you know had credit card debt from you know just like being a regular human without savings. So yeah. like when we were putting together the business plan, I was so nervous that you know I don't have any collateral to put on the line. I you know, I, I didn't know what we were going to do for money. And the fact that like, there are opportunities out there, like if you just do research and you put your idea on paper, um, that like, there are people who, who will put faith in you and without you having to like sell your soul or your idea to them. And so that was really reassuring. And yeah, I hope that other people, take a take a chance um because yeah it's doable it's hard work but doable were there any resources that you can refer people to for business planning and along these lines or or just thinking about these things to think through structures and bylaws or anything at all like that yeah 100% um so i am really like the processes person of the business um and so i have like a links and resources spreadsheet and it is l- pretty much with like there might be a couple of omissions but it's pretty much everything that we read every source that we cited every person that we talked to that like went into our business plan. I have all of that. So if there's anyone who's listening who's interested, I'm happy to share that. Um, you can reach out to hi at calchewine.co or you can DM us at calchewine co. Yeah, K-A-L-C-H-E-W-I-N-E-C-O. Um, and yeah, um, I would be more than happy to share it. But we got we got help from the Vermont Employee Ownership Center was like one of the most helpful. Um, Matt Crop was who we worked with, and he was like, "Oh, you are like looking to do like put like this line in your bylaws. Here is this other local co op who has something like that, and you can talk to them about how it works in their day to day." Uh, operations, or you're looking to do like a sources and uses table for your, um, you know, funding project. Here is a cooperative accountant who can help you, you know, like make everything look copacetic. 
Um, so they're there. And there are organizations like that Vermont Employee Ownership Center statewide across the majority of the country. Um, so I would definitely recommend that folks look into that. Um, and yeah, just like reach out to co-ops. Uh, there are these tenants that all, like if you decide to be a cooperative business, it's like an agreement that you will abide by these. And one of them is co-ops helping co-ops. So like, if you are saying like, I want to start a democratic business, I want to like invigorate my community in this way, I will assure you that any other, you know, cooperative employee, worker owner, what have you will be more than happy to, to share their info with you. Well, thank you so much for offering <laughs> to those resources. And thanks for doing all this work. I mean, you're really, you know, it's again, you're going to be the shoulders that I'll probably be standing on at some oh point. Um, but really, really thank you for, for you know, at, just going out there and trying to figure all this out for uh, those of us who want to do the same thing. It's a huge, immense help to have, uh, you, you know, I know, it, I'm sure it's difficult. And I know it's hard work and I know mistakes must get made and yeah, you got all the stresses that go along with that. But, um, you know, that's why I'm just saying thank you <laughs> for, for going through all that. Um, I think that's I really great. It. <laughs> it means, it means a lot. You know, we, it does feel like screaming into an echo chamber most days of the week. So it, it's nice to, to know that, you know, there are people out there that see it, that, you know, see what we're doing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's such a, a beautiful, uh, a, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful way to, to, to do what you're doing. I mean, to do what we're trying to do. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I want to talk about, well, I want to talk about the wine because I know that's yeah. the way we can all sort of support what you're doing by hopefully getting to, you know, buy and taste your wine. Um, what are you guys making? What is the, what is, yeah. what's, what is the, yeah, what is the idea behind all of that as well? Totally. Um, well, we like to call it hybrid space juice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the grapes that we're using are all cold hardy hybrid grapes, um, most from the University of Minnesota, but some Cornell. Um, and the we're managing one four acre vineyard, um, that we have through like a crop share agreement. So we put in labor in exchange for a steep discount on the fruit. Um, mm -hmm. and then we are purchasing from a couple of other vineyards around the state. Um, last year, all of our fruit was from Vermont, but this year we are getting some apple and blueberry additions from Maine. Um, oh. Yeah, we're wow. really excited. Kathleen, the, um, our director of production viticulture, she just went last week to the RAS folks. Yes. Um, yes and they... yeah, they had been doing some blueberry wine pressings and, you know, we slid into their DMs and we're like, hey, any plans <laughs> for those skins? And they were like, no, if you can come and get them next week, um, like they're free if you want to experiment. And so we were like, you had us at free. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah so I'm, uh, I'm hoping to talk to them sometime soon. Actually. Oh my gosh, they are so sweet and so funny and fun. 
Um, and awesome. we all met at ABV in Brooklyn, although I had had their wines before. But um, and yeah, ABV, anything but Vinifera, uh, yeah. put on by Jade Marley and uh, by the hand, her by the hand portfolio via Zevro Vine Selections, um, doing such amazing work, such a fantastic community of folks that I'm so proud to be a part of. Yes. Yeah. It's funny that there's a, there's a connection between a lot of people I'm talking to these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. We're so we're talking to what, a lot of hybrid heads. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm becoming one for sure. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, I just think like, you know, California needs to embrace them because we, you know, it's, I, I really think growing them here means you literally don't have to spray. Like, yes. I, I mean, I think for real, like anybody yes. listening who's, doing viticulture in California, like I'm talking about grapes that you literally never would have to spray. Like yeah. no joke. Um, because they, I mean, you don't have, I mean, the, obviously you do have to manage them on the East coast where there's, you know, Im, like immense pressure. Yeah. Of, a lot more mildew pressure. Brazilian mildews and everything yeah. else. But, um, but not out here where powdery is like our main, <laughs> you know, nemesis. Uh, in, and in some areas, you know, even that, like where it's hot and dry, you'd get minimal pressure on powdery. Yeah. And it would, these things would. And also you guys have to deal with like high acid, but we have these super long growing seasons. So mm. we wouldn't even have to worry. I mean, we could probably pick at ripeness levels that would even take care of some of that excessive acidity from these American Absolutely. native varieties. Yeah. And you know, yeah, yeah, you're mentioning (laughs) like spraying, but also like irrigating. Right. Right. You know, it's like you can just let them grow and put in, you know, the minimal, minimal effort that it would, you know, take for any other, you know, sort of plant. You don't have to hold its hand and, you know, put its helmet on and it's blanky and the <laughs> you know, which is really how I feel right, about right. at this point. <laughs> so they get a lullaby every night. Exactly. So it no fit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. I'm telling you, like I, <laughs> yeah. i I work with Vinifera. I know. It's like yeah. man. Even if you coddle it, it still throws a fit. You know, it's like totally. Like, man, I've been giving you like on the regular sprays, you know, and still you're getting powdery. You're still, you know, getting. You're still, you know, susceptible. You're still a feeble little critter. Absolutely, um, it's yeah. so funny to like talk to vinifera people. You know, people who are like really invested in like maintaining the vinifera quo, let's say. Um, but like, I'm just, it's like talking to someone who's like in a bad relationship and it's like, but you know, they're not treating you well. You know, you're miserable. Get out. Yes, it's bad now, but it could be better in two years, in three years. And yeah, that's hilarious. Really trying to, yeah. Trying to get people out of those toxic relationships. It's almost 2023. We're, we're too old for that. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And <laughs> and look, it, you, you can do it in stages. I mean, I know yes. change is hard. So, but like think about if you if if just 10% of your vineyard you didn't have to spray. Like yeah. think of the reduction in cost, the reduction in, you know, time, which is a reduction in cost, a reduction in, you know, CO2 output. Yeah. I mean, there's like just even that. I mean, it would just and then you could just add that into the blend and nobody would be any the wiser that you're Cabernet had, you know, 10% petite pearl in it or whatever. You know totally. what I mean? Like, 
and it would immediately reduce your bottom line, like, or whatever, increase your bottom line, I don't know what it, you know, it'd make it better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we keep it in the black better. Um, <laughs> um uh, real, I, oh my gosh, so many things I want to say here. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like nothing, nothing against Vinifera, you know? No, that's my point too. Like it's not about prejudice in either direction. I mean, 100%. I think now that we've gotten past that idea that we have to be prejudiced against hybrids or American varieties, yeah. like great. Now let's start using them because, you know, with the Vinifera, like it's not, yes. it's not like one is bad and one is good. It's not a binary. It's like they, you know, let's see how we can help yeah, and out. absolutism in any form is what we are trying to avoid. Right, it's right. just like maybe don't use 100% of something that is like actively, you know, deteriorating the ecosystem around you, but like right. yeah. also do you. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. For yeah. as long as you can, good luck with that. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, there may be an expiration date already. Yeah. Uh, in the in the you know foreseeable future, not some unknown distant thing. It's like uh, totally. that, that that time may be coming rapidly um, yeah. for many of these. Um, so yeah, jump on board before it's too late. That's all we're saying. <laughs> Ab- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was supposed to be ominous. <laughs> 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 yeah so what do you uh talk, talk about what you are working with what i mean if you want to talk about varieties or styles however you want to talk about that what like what i mean how why the space juice what's what's the what's the cosmic aspect of this what's yeah the world be? well like the cosmic aspect is mostly just the fact that it's very easy to forget that we're all just like clusters of organisms flying on a rock through space. <laughs> you know, like at yeah. the end of the day, like don't put so much on to like this idea of wine because it really is so small in the grand scheme of infinity. That mm. being said, and like not to be super douchey, um, <laughs> like we we see it as, you know, like futuristic ferments, but it's not what we're doing isn't actually futuristic. It's more taking a nod from ancient, ancestral, indigenous fermentation methods. Um, so Kathleen uh, does a lot of foraging around the winery. Um, so like, for example, we had our first release with Viticol uh, last year and mm-hmm. we made a piquette called Viburnum. And so it started off with um, some Marquette skins and then it needed a little bit of oomph. And so our, so Kathleen like went out to like literally the driveway of the winery and there are these high bush cranberries there um, known as viburnum. And she was just like, okay, let me, uh, let me pick a couple buckets of this off and we'll add this in, you know? So instead of like a more traditional idea of, oh, this needs something. What can I intervene chemically to give it the flavor that I want? Kathleen yeah. was more like, what do we have available outside that could mimic that flavor? Yeah. 
That's great. Yeah. And yeah, I think just like not holding hard onto definitions that, you know, like wine is exclusively grape juice. Wine is this, wine is that. It's like this absolutism about having anything be exclusively not exclusively one thing and it can't be anything else. You just made everything so much harder for yourself. So <laughs> so like with your question, like what exactly does does hybrid space juice mean? It means like, yes, it means like, yes, if we have access to this, we're going to fucking ferment it. We're going to throw it in a stainless steel tank and see what happens. And like Kathleen is like such a mad scientist. She has such a mind for chemical reactions and fermentations. And I can't say it enough that like her ability to like take a pile of fruit and turn it into a symphony is just so impressive. And so like Grace and I are pretty much just like, okay, here's when we need money by. (laughs) Figure it out. That's great. Yeah. And like, let us know how we can help you. And like that. (laughs) So like, she definitely can speak to it a lot more, but like her, she wants to just like, show off what Vermont has to offer. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of apples, you know, now there's like a bunch of hybrid grapes, but like there's a ton of maple. And so we have a bunch of maple sap that we got from a neighbor and she's going to try and make a maple sap paquette. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Just exciting. Yeah. Just like really cool stuff. And like maybe keep that on its own, maybe use it to like add to, a wine spritzer or, you know, what have you. Um, uh, Yeah, we're going to do, we didn't save a ton of skins last year. We put them out in what we like to call the bear pile. Um, But we're going to, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm just laughing at the bear pile. (laughs) (laughs) You're attracting them, huh? You're luring them in. 100%. Yeah. Like you put (laughs) anything sweet outside and the bears are going to be on top of it. Like that's how far out this winery is. Wow. Um, it's gorgeous. Um, but yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna try a lot harder this year to uh, like do more. We're going to do more with seconds. Um, and I'm really excited to see how that's going to, to play out. Um, you, you made me think of this when you were talking about floating through space, um, (laughs) on a rock. I've heard, uh, you know, I heard of this meditation. It sounds very uh, morbid, but I think it might be like an old, samurai meditation where you meditate on yourself being like terribly killed like you know just brutally maimed uh Mm. every day like this is a daily meditation of like you you meditate on your own death in in any innumerable brutal violent ways and that this is how you maintain detachment you maintain like a calm mind because you've already dealt with those fears like you've really looked at that hard and the worst possible way of dying you've already Mm. considered on a daily basis you consider it and so you go into your day as a samurai or whatever it is without that fear anymore because you you've already envisioned the worst that it could be um and i like this idea like maybe i mean maybe the you know, you don't have to meditate on your brutal murder every day, but maybe <laughs> meditate on the idea of being on a mossy rock floating through space, hurtling through the universe every day, you know, and get a little perspective on your life and what you're doing is a really nice way to, to you know, temper our 
temper our, um, you know, sort of obsessions and maybe engender a little compassion for each other too, you know, a little empathy in the, totally. in the, in the as we go throughout our day and realize, you know, how small, small it can be that these things that we get wrapped up in. Um, okay. Well, so really quickly, I'm glad that you brought that up because there was actually this poem that I read a couple of days ago that my friend shared online. And I was thinking originally of one way that like, maybe I would want to share it. Um, but it ooh. definitely like touches on what you're saying. Do you mind if I read it? It's short. I would love that. No, I would okay. love that. Um, so this is by, uh, <laughs> Don't laugh at the handle, but it the Twitter handle is Crypto Nature. <laughs> um, and it says, an ant crosses your carpet. A spider weaves a pattern older than mammals beneath your stairs. Just nod, breathe, and think, good. It's all still here. The forest, the mountains, the desert, at home in my home. The sterile white box is the stranger, not the ant, not the spider. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, and like... Thanks, that's great. Totally, yeah. I definitely don't necessarily agree 100% um, because I don't love uh, people who aren't paying rent in my home. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> like on the on the grand scheme of things, it is, you know, it well, it is, yeah, you know, such a good reminder. Like, no, these things are permanent the things that are that are ephemeral are us yeah yeah it's true well the spider's paying rent i mean theoretically it's <laughs> totally. organic pesticide yes yeah 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 spider you've got to pass <laughs> the ant, oh, ant. No, could be e could be eating your home <laughs> seriously yeah you're not paying for groceries either right pack your bags <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Uh, that's why I used to say I provided low rent housing for bees. I would just, you know, charge them a little <laughs> bit of honey during the growing season. That's funny. <laughs> um, well, awesome. I do, can you shout out like your? Well, you already mentioned your your website and everything else, but do you? It's calchewine.co, not .com. Correct? Yes. So it's calchewine.co. Um, and yeah, you can find us on all of the social medias. Um, I'm Justine Bell Lambright at the Bell Justine. Um, and yeah, I recently got brought on to be the event director for ABV, anything but Vinifera. So I will be, um, yeah, getting together another really fun conference. This next one's going to be in Miami. Um, so I invite anyone who enjoyed what we had to say today to uh, stay tuned, follow along on Instagram, and hopefully uh, come out and join us out there January 16th to 18th. Fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for that. Any parting words otherwise, other than those shout outs? No, I mean, just thank you so much for, for making the space and for, you know, asking about what this little group of weirdos is doing in the middle of Vermont. Um. <laughs> well, thank you for doing it. That's what I have to say. Thank you so much. Um. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did, please leave a review and let me know. Also, I hope to see you at Vidanor this December.